0: Father God, we want to thank you that uh, we don't have to worry about the challenges uh, of life when we have you, Uh, but give us the courage to face the areas that we need to face and give us the ability to tune into you. Uh, Thank you for this and thank you for the seminars that we've had. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I shared a verse the other day that I thought was pretty powerful. It's 1 Peter 3, verses 7, and I've added verse 8. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in a what kind of way? Understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs or co-heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So this suggests to me that God's plan for marriage is that we understand each other. But how we do that understanding is important. Look at verse 8. Be, what are the key words? Read them with me. Like-minded, compassionate, loving, tender-hearted, and humble-minded. So, how we deal with conflict is important. And it means we need to be like-minded. We need to be loving. We need to be humble, tender-hearted. In fact, what you could do is just make this one of your memory verses. Put this up in your house and you memorize, this is how I'm gonna deal with conflict. I wanna be like-minded, agree where I can agree. I wanna be compassionate, understand their point of view. I wanna be loving, tender-hearted, and I wanna be humble. Do you think you guys could do that? All right, so now we're gonna talk about some of what would be involved. Now, the first thing I have to say is I believe conflict is healthy. When a couple comes to me and they say, Oh, yeah, you know, we don't have any conflict. In fact, can you remember the last time we had conflict? And the other guy goes, No, I I can't remember the last time we had conflict because we just never disagree about anything. I get very worried, right? You see, conflict, I believe, is actually healthy. Why is it healthy? What would happen without conflict? Okay, you could have everything building up inside. It could be like a volcano that explodes, yeah. mm-hmm. all right? Because you're not, you're not sharing it. What else? There is no communication. communication. There's no communication. Yeah, you're not being honest. There may be communication, but you're not being honest. Mm-hmm. You see, conflict suggests that you trust each other enough to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so when you have conflict, it's actually a healthy thing. So some people get frightened because... Their parents may have hid all conflict from their kids, and there's pros and cons to that. But they then think that when I get married, we'll never have conflict, whereas, believe you me, there's always behind doors, closed discussions that are going on. And so, uh, conflict is healthy, it express trust and openness. Uh, some other things is what would happen, as I said, without such expression? You mentioned hidden anger and resentment would come out. You know, it just builds up inside until eventually it explodes. You'd have bad decisions. I can't believe how many times I would have made a bad decision if my wife hadn't said, hey, you know what, I just don't have a good feeling about this. And her intuition would often save us from a bad decision. So I needed someone to confront me, like, I don't think you should do that. And she needs me to confront her. Uh, Shallow relationships, because if you never share what you really feel, it's just shallow. It's like Facebook. Uh, Lack of growth. You can't grow unless somebody critiques you. You know, the Bible says, better the wounds of a friend than the flattery of an enemy. So, conflict's a really good thing. So, we all love conflict, right? Mm-hmm. How many of you, like, if I said to you, you know, tomorrow morning I'd like to come across and so that we can have a conflict. Uh-huh. Oh, you know, Michelle's like, uh, no, let's just skip tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody likes conflict, but conflict is still helpful. So, How do we communicate through conflict? So they've done this little test and some of you may have heard of Professor Gottman. He has something called the Love Lab (laughs) and he takes couples, uh, it's like a mountain retreat, but they take them and they have video cameras on them in these public places and they watch how the couples interact, wouldn't that be a little freaky? (laughs) And so they watch them and then they trace the couples for 10 years. Over 130 new uh, sorry six years over 130 newlyweds over six years of videotaped interaction, and they compared this group with another study of couples that was studied over 13 years, and what they were doing was they were looking for patterns in stable happy couples. So they'd see how do they interact, how's their conflict, how's their communication, and one of the things that they uh, discovered a surprising result was that even though they had taught these couples communication techniques like eye messages and active listening, uh, they didn't actually use them in conflict. And you just think about that. You know, you're taught, so what I hear you saying is, you know, you're taught that, but in the middle of a conflict, you're not going to use that. So what I hear you saying is, is that you think that I am, and you always, you know, and then it just kind of goes away from there. So they said, even though couples were taught these things, they don't use them, when they're in the midst of a conflict because you don't feel like using them. So he said something else was going on. So he said, what makes a successful couple from a couple in many cases here that ended up in divorce or in separation, what was successful communication? And they found two critical factors to success. This is kind of my summary of it. If the wife who often initiated an issue was able to do it in a gentle, compassionate and soothing way, and if the husband responded by being open to the suggestions of his wife, oh, you don't like that one, then the couple happily negotiated the conflict. Did you get that? So if the wife knew how to initiate the conflict, and if the husband knew how to respond, things would go great. And uh, they, they traced these couples, and they saw, you know, over a period of time, where, because the wife often would recognize there's something wrong in the relationship, she would bring it up. Guys, we, we don't always bring up the stuff. So, you know, she would bring it up. You know, there's a problem between us. And if she brought it up in the right way, and if he responded by being open to her suggestions, then that couple successfully negotiated conflict. However, he said, there are four horsemen of marital apocalypse. And if these four horsemen come parading across your marriage, you're in deep trouble. And these were the four horsemen. Number one, criticism. Why do you always do this? So that kind of criticism, biting criticism. I can't believe. Were you born in 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 a cave? Why do you always leave the door open? Any of you heard these things said? So when there's criticism, marital apocalypse. Contempt, mocking, snide remarks, sarcasm. In fact, one of the key ways that they discovered, if in the first 90 seconds, somebody was kind of rolling their eyes, that marriage was in deep trouble. So it's like... Can't believe we're doing this again, you know. And I can't believe you just did that. How stupid was that, you know? And the eyes roll. He said he could predict uh, within 90 seconds whether that couple was going to make it through the first five years of marriage and just watch for 90 seconds. Yep, they'll make it, they won't make it. And he had an incredibly (coughs) high prediction success rate. But rolling the eyes, contempt, mocking snide remarks was part of that. Defensiveness, explaining away. Well, you see, it's not really the way you say it. Excusing behavior, it didn't happen that way. Well, of course, if you hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done that. Or denying responsibility. You know, that's not my fault. If you can't live with that, then, then there's just something wrong with you. And, and uh, I've seen couples uh, really struggle with this because they... They go back to defensiveness and protectiveness instead of uh, being able to deal with the issue. And then stonewalling, uh, withdrawing, looking away, stopping listening. I don't like what you're saying, so I'm just going to shut down. It's too wounding, it's too difficult for me, so I'll just shut down. Teenagers are very effective at this. You know, um, how did your day go? It was okay? So uh, tell me about your day. Well, it was fine. Uh, Is there anything wrong between us? No, everything's, everything's fine which means it's not fine. You know, when everyone says, it's fine, okay? It means it's not fine. You know, so it's fine. You know, and then they, they stomp off to their room. Are you sure? Yes, leave me alone. Stonewall. I'm not going to speak to you. I'm going to be silent. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to stop listening. So if these things were occurring on a consistent basis in a relationship, that relationship was in trouble. And I can think of many other things. You know, sh- we mentioned shutting down, avoiding, just giving in fine, have it your way. Uh, I, you know, this was something that I had a tendency to do in my early marriage is that I'd be like, if, if I felt criticized, I felt disrespected and men need respect. So what I would do is I would be like, okay, well, we'll just go, we'll just go on holiday to your parents then. And she says, are you sure? Yeah, that's fine. We're going to do that because that's what you want. It's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) If you were doing this because you loved me, it would be different. It would be like washing the dishes. If I saw that, remember, I like to clean house. So if I came in and the dishes weren't washed, I would go in and start washing the dishes. My wife would come and say, please don't wash the dishes. Wouldn't you love your wife to say that to you? Please don't wash the dishes. And I'd be like, no, I'm going to wash the dishes. Now, why was I being stubborn? Because I wanted to prove a point to her. Now, when I'm washing the dishes yeah, I can keep house better than you can. You know, I, you're not going to do this, but I'm going to do this. So was that loving to wash the dishes or unloving? It was unloving. And then she says, if she said back to me, look, I don't want you to wash the dishes. Because what washing the dishes said to her is, you have failed as a housewife. And so it communicated failure to her. So it would leave her feeling terrible. And I would insist on doing it. I'd say, Well, what's wrong with my washing the dishes? I mean, I'm just trying to help around the house here. Wouldn't every wife love to have a husband who helped around the house? (laughs) Now, yeah, you guys can't connect with this at all, right? (laughs) And so what was happening is I was being selfish and I was doing something good. And I, I was either, you know, you're giving in or you're doing the right thing, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. And it's. It shows your heart, and your heart is still selfish. So demanding, labeling them, you know, what are you, you, you try this on your spouse, it works really effectively at being able to sleep on the couch. <laughs> uh, you know, you're just like your mother. <laughs> oh, well, it might be a good thing, you know, but, <laughs> but you know, you say you're just like your mother, or you're, you're just like so-and-so, like, ow, oh, you know, and then you, you end up on the couch. I've never slept on the couch, but you know, those things can happen. Uh, criticizing, manipulating, arguing, or even making out as a way to just try and resolve the conflict. All of these are negative ways. And what we need to do is deal with conflict constructively in ways that aren't like this. So I'm going to share with you some biblical principles for how to deal with conflict. They work whether it's husband, wife, or in any relationships. I love Ephesians chapter 4. It's just like my favorite conflict resolution chapter. You go to to Ephesians 4, it's like, woo! this gives me everything I need to know so uh, first I'm going to start in verse 2 and it says we should begin with how what humility Um, have you ever tried praying when you're in the middle of a conflict I am so mad and then you pray and God just like melts your heart you know what you're wrong You know your heart's not right. You know you're being selfish here. You're like, God, go away. I was doing so well at winning this argument before you stepped in. So you need some humility. And and then the second thing is gentleness. See, a lot of the problem in conflict is that when we get angry, we get aggressive. What's the difference between anger and aggressiveness? Anger is a response to a perceived injustice or a perceived hurt. So that's anger. It's just an automatic response. I feel hurt. Anger is always secondary to hurt. I feel hurt, I respond. Or I feel unjustly treated, I respond. So anger is the feeling. Aggressiveness is a determination to to hurt the other person back. See the difference? One is my response. The other is a sinful secondary action that happens when I say, okay, I'm hurting. Now I'm going to show you how much I'm hurting by hurting you. So what the Bible says, it actually says something surprising. Be ye angry. That's not one of the be ye's that you thought. You know, be ye kind. But it says be ye angry. But don't sin. sin. There's a difference between anger and aggressiveness. And that means, so the Bible in Ephesians 4 verse 2 says, we need humility and gentleness. Even when we deal with areas where we're angry, we need to be gentle. And then it says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. How many of you are messed up people? Just raise your hand. Yeah, it's going be most of us. We're messed up people and God has been patient with us, right? We need to show that same patience to others. And this is eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Whether it's my family or my friends or my spouse, there is a unity that exists between us. And I, we are allies, not enemies. And when we approach an issue, we approach it as we are both going to solve this together rather than I'm going to get you to do it my way. We're going to come together and we're going to figure this out because we're allies, not enemies. Uh, So, how do I solve conflict? Ephesians 4, verse 15 gives me some good principles here. Rather speaking the truth, how? In love with the purpose of growing up in every way unto him who is the head, Jesus Christ. So, my goal in conflict is to become more like Jesus. Is that clear to everyone? (laughs) That's my goal. How am I going to do it? I'm going to tell you the truth. But how am I going to tell you that truth? In love. love. And that's tough. Because there are some times I just want to tell you the truth and get you to understand my point of view. But when I love you, I share that truth in a way that's going to help you. Because I want what's best for you. And I know if I keep silent, it's not going to be best for you. So I'm going to share that truth in love. But when I share it, you're going to sense, you love me, you're not just trying to change me. And a different concept. You have to think it through. All right. Uh, Here's another one. Ephesians 4 verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through, what's this key word? Deceitful desires. You know, a lot of the problem in conflict is I desire something for me. It's deceitful, because I think it's the right thing. All I want is a clean house. But what it's really rooted is, I want to be king of my house, and I want to invite people over and show them my kingdom, you know, uh, like Hezekiah. Come see my kingdom, or or Nebuchadnezzar with Babylon. Is this not the great kingdom that I have built? Look at it; it sparkles, it shines. My children march in a row like they out of a Sound of Music uh, whistle, you know. And here they are. It's wonderful. Look at this; it's beautiful. So it's really selfishness that's driving it. So a lot of conflict is my deceitful desires. And instead, it says, "Put off all of that old man, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self." Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you guys think you can do that? Put off the old guy and take on the new guy. Now, did I tell you the story about um, the fellow, uh, about a husband and wife living in Texas and he died and she embalmed him? Did I tell you that? I don't think so. She embalmed him and stuck him in a glass coffin. And put him next to the staircase. They had this impressive ranch in Texas. So you'd go up on the staircase. He was right next to the staircase. And uh, when she left in the morning to go up to the ranch, she'd say, Bye, John. And when she came in in the evening, she'd say, Hi, John. And, you know, kind of walk up the steps. Well, it so happened that she traveled across to uh, Europe and met a fine British gentleman. And uh, they fell in love. And so he said, "Why Why don't I whisk you back to Texas and we get married? So they went back to Texas, got married, went over to a ranch. He picked her up and said, let me carry you across the threshold there. And he picks her up and he goes and he kicks open the door and he walks and he goes, "Ah!" because who's standing at the foot of the staircase? John. He says, who's that? She says, that's John. He says, look, John has got to go. (laughs) Well, you know, each of us keep our old man still hanging around when we're already married to Jesus and we need to put off that old guy who is selfish and just wants his own way. And we need to, we need to take that guy, and bury him, and allow Jesus to reign in our lives. Fair enough, right? So, um, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. And what's that key word? Holiness. Holiness. Remember, what's the goal of marriage? Holiness. Holiness, not happiness. So, here's some other principles. Let no corrupting. Literally, that Greek word means Rotten. Words come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for doing what? Building up. Some translations say edifying. As fits the occasion, you choose which words will work, that it may give grace to those who hear. So do you speak rotten words? You know, it just comes out and it stinks. Or do you speak words that build the other person up? Remember, five words out of your mouth may take you five months to fix. Is it worth it? the satisfaction you get from speaking those words, I'm just going to say them. Beep, 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 you're about to commit a fatal error. Please retract your words. But some of us, we, uh, we release the clutch in our brain before, I mean we release the clutch in our mouth before we've kicked our brain into gear and it's very challenging. So be careful, don't let rotten words come out of your mouth. And then it just kind of emphasizes again, be what to one another? Kind to one another. Be Tender-hearted. What should you do? Forgive Forgive one another. Why? Because God in Christ has Forgiven. forgiven you. He forgave you. So you need to approach it that way. You see, what we've been talking about here is it's ministry versus manipulation. It's how can I become like Jesus instead of how can I get the other person to do what I want. As soon as you make that shift, it radically changes all your communication. So let's just say now that um, it's not the husband it's not me in the kitchen uh, washing the dishes let's just say that a man comes home after a long day of work he's what? tired he's exhausted and uh, so uh, you know what does he want first? he wants to eat (laughs) yeah you got it so he's hungry he wants to eat so he goes and he he wolfs down his food and then he shoves his he leaves his plate on the table and he goes where? not into the kitchen where does he go? To the television. And he goes and he sits down in front of the television or in front of his computer and he wants to chill, he wants to relax. Now back in the kitchen, um, the wife is clearing away the dishes. She puts the dishes in the kitchen and uh, she looks down at the dishwasher, which still isn't fixed because he promised to fix it a week ago and he still hasn't fixed it. Um, So now she's going to have to wash the dishes by hand. And so she begins washing the dishes. As she's washing the dishes, you can just imagine the scenario. She, she starts putting the plates in, but she's getting angrier and angrier. Why? Because he's sitting on the couch. He's not helping. He hasn't fixed the dishwasher. He seems to just expect all of this stuff from her. She has to slave away from him. She's getting angrier and angrier. How do the dishes go into the rack? Gently. No, noisily. Why? Because she is trying to get his attention. Bang! 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 You know, and, and he's oblivious. He's like, I am trying to watch television here. Could you not make so much noise? You know? <laughs> oh, bad move, bad move. Or maybe he doesn't even tune in at all. You know, he's just so, t- he's in his waffle box. He's in his television box or his computer box. He doesn't even hear it. And so eventually she comes out boiling mad and says, the dishwasher is still broken, and he looks up and innocently goes, oh, that's right, yeah, I should get to fixing that sometime, and goes back to his box. Mm -hmm. Now, how is that going? Not very good, right? I mean, this is a situation where you can see the tension building. In that moment, both of them can either become selfish or unselfish. And the Bible tells us in James chapter 4 verse 1 exactly what the problem is. So if you want to take a look at James chapter 4 verse 1, and it identifies the the reason why conflicts occur. Verses 1 through 3. So I want you to quickly read that and then see if you can come up with the answer. James chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Just kind of glance through it and see if you can come up with what the answer is. it says, why are there troubles and fights among you? And then it comes up with a reason. It says there's a reason. What is it? Anyone figure it out yet? Why are there troubles, fights, conflicts among you? What's going on? You have desires, right? Lusts, lust it calls them. And that word lust or desire, depending on your translation, it says what you want to spend it on. Yourself. So the real reason why there are fights and conflicts among us is because we have selfish desires. Isn't that so true? We want our way, we want to do things our way and both of them, he wants to be left alone so he can relax and just watch television. She wants to get the dishes washed and she wants that dishwasher fixed and she doesn't want to be the slave. So both of them are coming at this with selfish perspectives and as a result conflict (coughs) is occurring. Now when conflict occurs, we can use bad tactics and we've talked about some of them earlier. We can use emotional guilt to try and get the other person to see or do it your way. One of my students, he, I said, Oh, yeah, what do your parents do? He says, Well, my mother's a travel agent. I said, Oh, they still have travel agents? He says, Yeah. She specializes in sending people on guilt trips. I was <laughs> like, Whoa. You know? Uh, but some people, they do. They just, it's the way they speak. They tend to manipulate. And we've got to be careful to eradicate that from our language. Uh, some use logic. I had one... Uh, girl who told me, she said, you know, our first five years of marriage were terrible. I said, why? She said, because my husband was always right. He would use logic to to show me I was wrong, and I always ended up being the stupid one. And he would just like prove, well, you know, it looks like you, it looks this way, it looks like it's my fault, but it's not really because you didn't do this and this and this and just use your head, blah, 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 and use your head, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, she would go, he was so good. At persuasion, he was a pastor by the way, he was so good at persuasion that he, he was able to persuade her that she was wrong and he was right, using logic. Uh, some use silence, and we've talked about shutting down. Uh, I just don't want to listen to it, so I'm not, I'm not going to participate in it. And then some people even use aggression to try and force the other person. Look, you've got to listen to me. And that's why people use anger. Anger gets people's attention. When I get angry, suddenly everybody listens. And if they're afraid, they do what I want. But it destroys the love in the family and in the relationship. And so while the Bible says, be angry, it says, don't sin. sin. In fact, it says, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Deal with it that day. Quick side hint here. When we thought, don't let the sun go down in your wrath, we thought, well, you know, we can't let anger build to it becomes bitterness and resentment. So we have to deal with it before we sleep. So at about 9.30 at night, my wife would bring up an issue and that was disastrous. Because at 9.30 at night, my brain switches off. So I'm not capable of processing anything. So she would say, you know, we really need to talk about this. And I would try to, to respond back. But, uh, you know, and then I would get frustrated, and then she would get frustrated. And then we'd go to bed even angrier. So what the Bible is saying is deal with something before you get too tired to deal with it. Because it says before the sun sets, right? <laughs> so deal with it earlier in the day when you have the ability to deal with it. Um, so that, that was very helpful. You know. Don't get aggressive. Deal with it. Speak about it. Work your way through with it. And always look to see what selfishness is taking place. How are you being selfish? You know, um, when it came to disciplining our kids, I remember making a fatal mistake. Uh, this is good for those of you who are going to be parents. Uh, what I did was I would go and sympathize with the kids after my wife had disciplined them. That was a terrible mistake, you know. But at the time, it's like, poor Johnny's crying. Or Skylar in this case. Let me go and comfort Skyler. Yeah, there he goes. Daddy, I love you because you care about me and mommy doesn't. <laughs> it was like, wait, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> Something's going on here. No, you have to be careful that what I was wanting was I wanted my kids to love me and I wanted to be the good guy. And that was a selfish motive. The better motive was we're going to stand as a team and do this together. So learn from my mistakes, all right? Uh, A ministry perspective, therefore, leads you to ask, how can I understand this person's perspective and minister to them? Whereas a selfish perspective is more intent on how can I get this person to understand me and do what I want? So you can see the difference there. And that's why a lot of contemporary psychological counseling doesn't work because it just teaches two people how to get what they want. Whereas Christian counselling should be, hey, let's deal with the selfishness on your heart and have you give up that selfishness so that you can learn to be like Jesus in this relationship. Uh, so uh, the key thought when it came to conflict, now I, I know conflict has many different factors, but here was something that was really profound to me early on in our marriage. I said, what causes conflict? And I kind of examined all the conflict situations. And you know what I came up with? Conflict is the result of unmet expectations. It just, it just hit me. Two people have expectations and when those two sets of expectations come together, there's conflict because my wife expects me to do this, this and this and then when I don't do it, you know what occurs to her? He must not love me because he didn't do those things. And what's more devastating than that? That someone doesn't love you. And so I had these expectations, if she loved me, she'd do bang, 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 bang. And then when she didn't do it, I was like, she doesn't love me, she doesn't care about me. It wasn't that at all, there were these unmixed expectations. And so what should you do? Well firstly, we said you've got to be unselfish in your expectations. What do you do secondly? Communicate Communicate your expectations, work them through. So the answer is not to defend yourself, I learnt but to work it through, to understand what's underlying those expectations. So I promised you yesterday uh, to do uh, the banana story, so let me do it. How many of you have heard the banana story? Are there a few of you? Okay, there's a few of you. Um, So what happened when we first got married, my wife, I took her over to Africa. Three days after we got married, I took her to a different continent, which is kind of scary. But she goes over there. She's still figuring out. She can't go to the store by herself because she doesn't want to drive on the other side of the road and so it's it's all a little scary and we have things called roundabouts and when you're on the wrong side of the road, which way do you go around the roundabout? It's all scary. So I would take her in to go shopping and then I'd do a few things and pick her up again. And so she goes shopping, she looks at all of this food and she can't really figure out the prices because it's in a different currency, but she sees bananas and she thinks, well, you know, that's probably a safe food, it's probably not too expensive. So she grabs the bananas and uh, brings them home. And I see them at home, and I like bananas. I, I particularly like them when there's a touch of green and they're kind of golden yellow. You know what I'm talking about? So I was like, "Oh yeah, bananas." So I start eating my way through these bananas. Love them. I notice she doesn't take any. So I'm like, "She doesn't like bananas." Something you to learn about your spouse. Uh, she goes out the next week, and she gets back in the car. She has two bunches of bananas. I'm like, well, I like bananas. I guess she's pleasing me. She loves me. She wants to get me two sets of bananas. So she brings the bananas back and and puts them on the counter there, and I start eating my way through it. I don't say anything. I'm just glad I have such a loving wife. The next week, we we go out, and she brings in three bunches of bananas. Now, I don't want to cause conflicts. I'm like, well, I shouldn't say anything here, but I really don't need three bunches of bananas. And she doesn't eat them, so so, I begin eating my way through them and I'm eating my way through them and, and I'm beginning to get tired of bananas by now. I mean, you can only have so many bananas, you know, they, after a while they're just not uh, peeling. Anyway. so. <laughs> So I'm getting through and we're at the last, there's one last banana sitting there and it's got those nasty little spots on them. You know what I'm talking about? And it started to develop those spots. And I'm like, oh, I hate bananas with spots, but whatever. You know, I'm just going to please her and eat this last banana. And I go up and I grab the last banana and I'm busy eating the banana. And all I have left is the peel as she walks in. And she looks at me in horror and she says, you ate the last one just when it was getting ripe. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> and that's when I realized she likes bananas with spots yeah, awesome. and I like bananas that have a touch of green. I mean, why would people like bananas with spots? They're, <laughs> the they're sweeter. They're yeah, good for smoothies and good, yeah. and good for banana bread. That's all that they're good for. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so here was... Here was something we just hadn't communicated our expectations and that was an easy fix but it's much more difficult when someone says and I just had a couple uh, who went through this he expects her, they're just getting married he expects her to be home five to six nights out of the week and she's very social she expects to be gone three to four nights out of the week you know, so she's like, we'll go and be able to see my parents on this night, and then your parents, and then we'll see our friends, and then we're going to, you know, she's got a whole itinerary of social stuff to do. And he's like, um, you know, I want to be in bed by 7.30, and she's like, I only get home from work at 5.30, and she's like, and we've got to see people. So they have these two expectations. And I, I had to help them negotiate their expectations. Because could you see how that could cause serious conflict mm-hmm. <laughs> when they got married? It's already it causing serious conflict. So uh, those are things we have to, to work through. And here's a simple formula that will help you. Uh, we call it love. First thing, you're going to listen. You're just going to understand because you're trying to figure out where the other person is coming from. So when the wife walks out of the kitchen saying the dishwasher needs to be fixed... You're going to listen, and you're going to listen on two levels. What is said, and then the cry of the heart. Because those are two different things. So what is said is, you would like the dishwasher fixed. Let me get that right. Yes, I'd like the dishwasher fixed. But then you, you try and understand the cry of the heart. What's going on at the heart level? And at the heart level, you can say, has my not fixing the dishwasher left you feeling unloved? and maybe like I don't care about you and what you have to face. Tears. Yes. (laughs) Come sit down here. And you're in for a wonderful night. So, uh, understand. Understand what's going on at the heart level. Try and read the heart, not the words. And for most people what they're looking for is affirmation. So that brings us to our V. They want to be validated. At least you can validate their feelings. Listen. Understand, is this where you're coming from? And then validate, you know you're right. Uh, my not fixing that dishwasher has left you with a lot of work. And I can see how it's really hurt you. Just validating, yes, Eli, I love you. And then there is no nail in the forehead. Yeah. <laughs> unless <laughs> you, you do it the wrong way. Unless you do it the wrong way and then the nail will go the other way and it'll be in your forehead. <laughs> Why are my sweaters getting snagged? <laughs> All right. So uh, one of the things to do when you're bringing up conflict so the, f- the first step is listen. First seek to understand, then to be understood. So listen, if you have to deal with conflict, then use something that is what I call the affirmation sandwich. And what I mean by the affirmation sandwich is you have a piece of meat, or maybe it's a veggie burger for you, that's in the middle of your bun, but on either side there's a lot of sauces and toppings and you've got the actual bread. That represents for me praise and affirmation. And the bun, I mean the meat, represents the criticism. So when you have to deal with something, we know now that it takes four to five affirmations to counteract one criticism. I mean, just think about those of you who are in school. Do you remember the four good remarks that your teacher made or the one area where they said you didn't do well? You remember the one area? And so with my wife, she sometimes reminds me, um, i don 't think i 've had my four compliments yet <laughs> it 's like oh yeah you 're right. Uh, let me go back. I love you because and then uh, and then we can deal with the issue so So giving compliments uh, affirming a person, letting them know how you love them, helps them to accept the meat of constructive criticism and that 's been a vital principle for me uh, let 's see we have five minutes i 'm going to try and cover conflict styles in the next five minutes. Uh, I've also found that when you're ministering, you have to recognize you approach conflict differently. Now, some people are very interested in relationships. How many of you are very focused on keeping your relationships and keeping the other person happy? Just kind of raise your hand. You're the happy people. All right, a few of you. Some of you are not being honest. All right. Because uh, like, is this safe to do this here? And then there are other people focused on goals. They're very good at achieving their goals. Now, what we've found is... These people who are very focused on goals tend to marry people who are very focused on relationships. And we have little animals to help you understand these different things. So those who are very focused on relationships, they are what we call teddy bears. You know, because they're just warm and cuddly. So if you ask a teddy bear, you know, um, if you say to a teddy bear, let's go to the Acts for Christ conference, they'll go, okay, let's go. Because they want to please you. Now they may have had something else to do, they may have had a goal to achieve like maybe homework for the weekend. But because you've asked them and they don't want to disappoint you, what are they going to say? Yes. Now on the other end of the spectrum, we have uh, an animal that we're just going to call a shark. See sharks are very good at accomplishing their goals but they sometimes ruin their relationships in the process. Now these are extremes, you know, we, we lean one way or the other. And if you, you want a little survey to do on this, I can give it to you. So. The teddy bear is like, Oh, I want to just please you. And the shark is like, I want to accomplish my goals. What happens when a shark marries a teddy bear? Initially, the shark is like, This is so cool. I just say something and she wants to do it. And so initially they get along well, but eventually the teddy bear begins to become resentful because it kind of builds up inside because I'm not accomplishing my goals and I'm trying to keep this relationship. And, and the shark doesn't always recognize the damage they're doing to the relationship as they accomplish their goals. Now, there's some people who just like to avoid the whole mess altogether, and they're turtles, like, just inside my shell, oh, there's a conflict, okay, pass by, pass by, is it safe yet? No, go back inside. So, Jesus, interestingly enough, adopts one of these at different times. It's not like they're wrong, but it's how you approach them that can be wrong. Now, there's some people who go, okay, I'm not a teddy bear, I'm not a shark, I'm not a turtle. Now what I really am is a fox. I try and compromise. We'll do it your way a little bit and then we'll do it my way a little bit. You know, let's find a compromise here. You know, and they're very good at making compromises. And then, who we'd all like to be is this nice little wise bird who can both accomplish relationships and achieve their goals. What so we call win-win, you know, we all like to be there. But the reality is that... Uh, we tend towards one of these other ones. Now, what would happen if two teddy bears marry each other? Just had this, we had an engaged weekend. 16 engaged couples come to us and we do a weekend seminar with them. And we had two teddy bears next to each other. You should have seen them trying to go out for lunch. So, um, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? I don't know, should we go for lunch there? Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, well I don't know. I mean, if you don't like it, we don't have to go there. I mean, we could go somewhere else. No, I, I, I mean, I, I, th- I think it's fine. I mean, you're sounding hesitant. So, maybe we do that? So, I, well, I don't know. Shall we do... And it's like, took them th- by the time they were ready to go for lunch, it was almost the end of lunch. You know, it's like, oh, look, the time's coming up. Should we go for lunch? Because then maybe, maybe they'll be upset if we come back in late. I don't know. Should we go for lunch or not? Okay. And it's like, ah, just go, go. <laughs> All right. So, um, now, if you get two sharks together, what happens there? They almost kill each other. I'm going to do this. No, I'm going to do this. They're just like both stubborn. No, I'm going to do it this way. No, we're going to do it this way. You know, because they're so focused on accomplishing their goals. So there is something about blending this and just understanding the style. How does your partner work through conflict? Uh, Do they they avoid it? Do they accommodate it? Are they compromising, collaborating? Uh, Are they achieving their own goals and so on? Now, almost any of these styles i found, can become essentially selfish. I attack or withdraw or compromise or accommodate in the hopes that this will keep me happy. But a ministry perspective, what we've been talking about this whole morning, has growth towards holiness as the goal. Therefore, the point is not to change the other person to do what I want, but to minister to the other person so that we both become what God wants, so that we can grow together the way God wants us to grow. And I believe if we approach conflict this way, even though we have different styles, we can be effective. And so we've shared a lot of information. There's a lot more that we could share about communication and conflict. But I found when you deal with selfishness, the other things tend to disappear. And so I want to encourage you, commit your conflict to God. Examine your heart. Pray, listen, understand, validate the other person. And then share your conflict constructively. Uh, with, with a heart of love, speaking the truth in love. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you that you have brought us through conflict by giving us a heart that desires the best for the other person. Help us to deal with the issues. Maybe there's been a friend or a spouse that there's been a wall that's grown up between us. We need to go and and peek our heads over the walls and say, we need to deal with this. We need to talk it through. Uh, Maybe there's someone we've been angry with that we need to forgive. And we need to discuss with them ways in which we felt disrespected or unloved or we've been hurt. And you're going to give us the right words to say to work through that conflict. And Lord, you're going to bring us back into, into the bond of unity, into that spirit of unity that you desire. Thank you for this, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.